Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Bartles, a water and integrative cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension. Today, I'll be joined by Dr. Justin McMechan, and we'll be talking about hail. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing good and better than a lot of the farmers I've been talking with over the last few days. Yeah, it's it's been rough around here. Can you tell us more about your role in extension for those that may not know you? Yeah, I'm a crop protection and cropping system specialist. I'm I'm actually also in the entomology department, so I, I do a little bit of work, quite a bit of work actually on soybean gallmage and new pests, but have a significant history in working with hail damaged row crops, so wheat, corn, and soybeans. Um, and then work a little bit on cover crops, have a research and extension appointment. So uh, do quite a bit in the field and, and uh, then communicate that with others. Great. Well, unfortunately, Nebraska, many parts of Nebraska actually have been hit by several storms coming through and damaging crops around the area. So we wanted to take some time to talk with you and just provide that to our producers around the state. So what have you been seeing? You said you've been out scouting and for some of these storms, we are at that week mark, that seven to 10 days where we recommend just waiting, which I know is excruciating for some producers. What's your take on what you've seen so far out in the field? Yeah, I, I could speak for some of eastern Nebraska and, and places that I've been talking with growers, but uh, it, this is a pretty significant hailstorm. Um, so those are in the center of that path looks a lot different than those are that are on the edge. So there's no like one size fits all when it comes to hail. There's more or less some, some guidelines and principles. And I think the first one you mentioned is the seven to 10 days. Uh, that's pretty critical. Uh, we wrote Saturday looking at a few fields and it was, it looks pretty bleak and, you know, it wasn't a lot of regrowth, you know, that's that four to five days after the storm. Uh, with the hail being so significant, it, it took a couple days, in fact, till this morning to start to see some regrowth, especially on soybean. So, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a troubling time. It's probably one of the hardest times to, to make a decision on hail. Had we had this whole scenario happen two weeks ago, I think we'd all feel a lot differently. And our, our corn would have been prior to V6 and growing points would have been below the ground and soybeans would have been fairly small. But at this point, uh, what I've seen in the last few days is a lot of corn that was V6, V7, kind of that critical turning point, and some soybeans that were V2, V3 stage, um, and the result is uh, a lot of injury to the plants. But that being said, things always look worse the day after the storm, and seven seven days later, they can look a lot better. Sometimes it takes to 10. I No grower wants to hear that. Uh, everybody wanted to make a decision day two after the storm, as soon as things dried out. But I think some are finding that waiting actually pays off in terms of, oh, I had a far more of a stand than I thought I had, and maybe I don't need to replant. But you've got to give it time. Connected nodes and what appears to be growing points are not true until they start regrowing. Yeah, and I, I've talked with some producers that they had enough of a stand or that you know they had a high enough seeding rate on their beans that even losing... 50, 60,000 of those plants, they're still looking at, you know, 80 to 90,000 plants. And I know you shared some research on that, that, you know, they might only be looking at what maybe a 
yield loss on those just due to branching? Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting on soybeans. They're they're a very forgiving crop. Being in mid June, we could drop populations to probably seventy five thousand and not see any difference in the replant that we would put in now relative to that existing stand. A lot of things go into that. Our soybean crop being hailed is not loss free. We we cut off a bunch of nodes. Where some growers are back to the last node they have available, that cotyledonary node. And if they were at the V2 to V3 stage, we lost 20% of our yield in that storm from those node cuts. So it's going to hurt, but uh, that plant will now be like a goalpost. So it's going to have two stems that come out of it, potentially if both, both nodes were okay or both sides of that same node were okay. Um, and that means we'll be doubling node count every day as opposed to our single stem plants. So that helps big branchy, bushy looking plants that, that will catch up relatively quickly there's some complications in that, you know, that assessing that stand can be pretty difficult. Some of the regrowth we saw was almost not visible to the naked eye. You get down really close and you could see it today. And so if you're out doing a stand count for the number of live plants, which is the primary consideration at this point in the season, you know, you, you could miss a lot of plants and count them as dead. And then growers are, are deciding like adding a, a population to the existing one that's there you know, in terms of coming in and, and, and interplanting in between that to raise the population back up. And that's, that's a complicated scenario too. Iowa State has some good tools for, for planting decisions in soybeans. And, and they'll show you that dropping a 3.5 maturity group soybean in mid-June is pretty risky in terms of frost. Um, and so we, we have to be pretty careful in terms of, of what we put out there and try to match our existing uh, maturity group. So I, I recommend to growers to avoid risk of frost, drop that maturity group down from what you have um, rather than, than raise it up, which I think is what we're hearing from a lot of people is, is that there's some notion out there it should be increased, which doesn't seem to be supported by the data that I'm aware of. So you said corn's a little different. Do you want to kind of circle back on that? And because yeah. I know I've seen some corn plants some pictures on social media and they, they look beat up. Corn is tough and not a tough plant, a tough plant to assess. The issue is, is uh, it's this large chunk of stock that can be beat all the way up and down the stock, especially if it was at V6 or V7. And uh, unlike soybean, with all these growing points kind of spread out on the plant, they're all kind of compacted in one spot near the soil surface, but above the soil line, same with soybean. But as that plant gets beat above that spot, it kind of bends and pulls tissue over and shreds it. Uh, often that tissue kind of stays bent over and the result is there may be a viable growing point in there, but it's got to find its way out through all that dead tissue. And that can be really problematic. Um, and, and sometimes day after it can actually look pretty hopeful because there's all this green tissue out there or a couple of days later, but it's cutting those stalks open and looking in at that growing point to say, is it still green? Is it turning brown? We were seeing that today, some of those growing points turning, turning brown, but uh, I'm kind of best case scenario, if you're prior to V6 and growing points are below the ground, if you wipe those plants off at ground level, a new stem will come, you know, a stock will come right up through that. And we really don't consider defoliation in corn prior to V7. We're really just focused on live or dead plants. And we, we've done, my lab's done some research actually while I was a graduate student back in 2015, working with Roger Elmore, who many would know in the, you know, the realms of corn growth and development. And we challenged that you know, injured plant scenario, and we could improve the yield response a little bit, meaning that 
accounting for those damaged plants helped rather than just live or dead. But the live or dead count was actually surprisingly accurate in comparison. It's very challenging um, to figure out what is also going to make it. I think that was the number one question stand in the field today is like, hey, counting all these green plants, there's X number of plants, you know, in a row, you know, 17 and a half feet, and that's so many plants per acre. But the question is, how many of those plants are actually going to yield? You know, if they stay wrapped and tied, growers may hear over the next few days from their adjuster that we want to defer our evaluation. It's, they're not lazy. They're, they're really in the favor of the grower of those potential, what we call non-competitive wrapped or tied plants that don't get their leaf tissue out and grow normally, but stay pretty dysfunctional. And they become a weed in the field, so they don't yield. Um, and that, that's a challenge. The one other thing growers might see while they're out there now is, is plants coming out on angles from where that existing one was. And those are tillers. And, and tillers are, are a pretty interesting thing in, in corn. Wheat produces tillers. We want tillers. Generally in corn, we don't want tillers. There's some data that I think was recently uh, uh, done down in uh, Kansas with a PhD student shows those tillers aren't that bad, but uh, they make us a little nervous because they can produce a tassel ear, meaning an ear sticking out where the tassel would be and they're not very productive. I've seen them produce normal ears. I think time will tell, and there's more research to be done in the realm of hail and tillers. But keep an eye on whether or not the plant is straight out of the ground. That's your main stem. Again, that's good news. We don't worry about those. We tend to think a little bit more about those that are on an angle. So this one might hurt the most, the wheat. I know a lot of our wheat has started grain, you know, producing seeds. We're at the end of flowering for a lot of our fields around, at least in the eastern part of Nebraska. This one, this one's going to hurt. Yeah, I, I had a conversation just a couple hours ago about wheat. You know, uh, we were looking at late milk stage wheat. So well, well into development. There's no reversing the clock on wheat. Like there is corn or soybeans. It, it's, it's near its maturity, not too far away, July, right? So we're really looking at what's left. So this is, this is not looking for growing points or anything like that. This is just what, what is harvestable grain that remains in an, in a, status on the plant that could be actually harvested. And so I actually went to the FCIC standards handbooks. So there's one for small grains and corn and soybeans. They're, they're quite lengthy. But in that book, you know, university guided assessments of, of damaged plants that, that guide a lot of those charts that are in there. And it's more or less the number of heads per so many row, you know, feet and, and doing a calculation out to what, what remains there. You know, the, the trouble is some of those heads will be partially white at this point. And, and, it, and it's the same thing, weight. Like if you run out right after a storm, things, things will look better. In that case, you, you want some time to see how many of those heads are going to break off or fall over. But it, it's hard to have a conversation about wheat this, this late in the year. The, the one thing I would say as an entomologist is be careful about the presence of wheat curl mite from this storm. So we've shattered a lot of grain out on the soil surface. And actually, I was the one that did the research. Uh, anything past water ripe can germinate. Um, and so if we have volunteer wheat and we create a green bridge, and we don't kill that wheat. If we plant wheat nearby, we can really see some impact next year. Um, so being proactive about controlling that volunteer wheat if you have it after harvest. We always have the potential to have wheat streak mosaic virus, but we have had wheat streak mosaic virus down in the south southeast part of Nebraska that was confirmed this year. Very odd symptoms that didn't follow its normal pattern, but we do have it. And that's where we primarily grow a lot of our wheat in this, at least the Eastern part of the state. So 
it'll be really important to stay after that volunteer wheat. Is there anything else you want to cover, like recommendations, you know, as far as going out and assessing their stand? So we talked about the growth points, but do you have any recommendations for stand counts? Like you said, it can be a little difficult. I mean, doing stand counts alone can be timely, but trying to get out there and do stand counts on plants that are look yeah. like they went through a yeah, if you're, on, if you're on 30 inch rows, then 17 and a half feet is one one hundredths of an acre. So that, that makes things pretty quick uh, changes for the different row spacings. But the FCIC books I mentioned have have the row lengths for each row spacing that you have. I think then the number one thing is, uh, you know, growers should be knowledgeable about what that evaluation might look like before an adjuster gets there if they have one and have insurance. But the important thing is talk to your adjuster first. Don't do something or anything in that field without talking with that adjuster uh, because you can void your claim if you're out trying to, to do some sort of management when they haven't seen it. Um, they have specifics on how much to leave in that field for proper evaluation. And so uh, before doing much of anything, call your, your adjuster. And, and not a bad idea to run out and take some photos early on uh, in this process so you can help in that process if there's questions later about what things look like and and avoid walking to the edge of the field and first 10 feet going oh okay everything looks like this it it definitely can look different across the field the hailstorms are not a uniform pattern um, and so do take some time to tour across that field maybe in the soybean scenario part of it needs to be replanted but not all of it and so, so those are, those are things you, you definitely want to pay attention to the tips or tricks, I guess, of, of the trade of, of hail. And then the number one tip wait. and we're kind of in that window. Now, tomorrow we'd be crossing the seven day mark from the hail event itself. And that, that would be the time to, to actually start looking. I, I tell everybody go to the lake, you know, when they, if you, you can get away from town, don't, don't look at your fields for a good seven days. Yeah, it's, Definitely unfortunate. I know I walked through a couple of wheat fields that looked really nice two weeks ago. So I don't, I don't know what they're going to be looking like now. So when you do, do you have recommendations? So when you said looking at replant, I know you said corn might be too late just just because of the frost date, and then soybeans. Do you have, I guess, just more for educational purposes? At what population or where do you usually kind of draw the line for replant on those crops? Yeah, it's pretty tricky with corn. Um, and you could certainly replant it now, especially if you have like a total stand loss. You know, uh, again, there may be payouts on some replants. And so that's, that's again, an adjuster consideration to, to get their input. And it depends on the policies. And there's a lot of things that, that I think are more individualized on that front. On soybean, if I have 75,000 plants per remaining and not these big two and a half foot gaps, you know, in, within a row going down the row consistently, then, then I would say that they're probably best left alone. I don't think, you know, we're going to lose, uh, Jim Speck always says this, a quarter bushel per day every day in May on a bad year and five eighths of a bushel every day in May on a good year. So that's been lost on this replant, right? Um, and so one, one has to consider whether or not that's worthwhile. I think the only thing that would come to mind in the question of adding to, to soybeans is weed pressure uh, and whether or not canopy closure may be an issue. That would be a reason, uh, especially on 30 inch spacings to maybe drop some extra plants in there or seed in there to, to get that canopy closure. We're going to be fighting some herbicide 
you know, challenges with this as well. And I mean, pretty much any discipline area, you know, question, plant pathology, entomology, weed science, uh, you know, nutrient management is going to come up in the questions of managing a, a damaged crop. And I think this points to a resource that I, we can talk here all we want, but hail no is really the place to go for a lot of this information because it really walks you through some of those considerations. Most growers I talked to had their you know, fertilizer on already and didn't have those types of questions anymore, but, but a lot of other things that I think they are still wondering. Yes, that's a great resource by Nebraska Extension. So you can find that at cropwatch.unl.edu slash hail no, K-N-O-W, not no as in no, but that is a good resource. And there's videos on there. There's uh, what to do first, a step-by-step assessments. I know you helped with some presentations on there going through both, I believe, corn and soybeans. You know, what are you looking for? What to you know, some really good presentations and a great resource. So be sure to check that out. Yes. And then you did mention plant pathology and that's my background. So although I'm sure people aren't too happy about the triple digits that we're seeing right now, actually hot, dry is better after an event like this than cool and wet. Cause that kind of helps force forces the plants to kind of kick up and grow and not sit and allow plant pathogens to try to take hold on them. So, although I don't like the, the, the hot weather, it's, it's, it's better than staying cool and wet. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, it's, it's a complicated decision. What happens to your neighbor and their decision is not the same decision on your farm. Each farm is, is unique in its own way simple thing like residue cover from a previous season can really drastically change things between fields. Um, And so I I think growers need to go to each field and make a decision on every field and, and beyond that, maybe even within a field. So, and, and take, take the seven to 10 days before you start doing that. I think that's most important thing. Yes. Great. Well, like we said, there's more resources such as, you know, assessment checklist, presentations, all kinds of resources. So we have a whole website dedicated to that. So that's cropwatch.unl.edu slash hail no, K-N-O-W. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope everybody has a better growing season.